radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. Pominville. He'll leave for Spurgeon. Spurgeon almost gave it away. In fact, he did. Bufflin with Wheeler, two on one. Bufflin scores! Dustin Bufflin in overtime, and the Winnipeg Jets win it two to one. Friday, February 1st, 2019. I am Bruce Pataglia of Puck 77. I'm James Cole, also Puck 77. Sliding in. That was a little more of an up-tempo intro this week for you, though. That was good. Kind of seemed like you're alive this week. February, eh? Yeah. Yeah. We got through January, folks. It's over. We're done. We made it. Well, I mean, barely. there's still a day before this podcast comes out, so you never know. But so far, we're there. We could be speaking to you from the grave. From beyond the grave. Yeah, who's who's to say? I don't know who will put this out for us, but we'll <laughs> see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we made it, man. January's done, so, you know, your everyone's favorite month is February, of course. It's the shortest. So. It's the In shortest. The, honestly, so it is. I do like it, and I honestly think that's the only reason. Yeah, because what else does February have? Like it has Valentine's Day. I'm yeah. I'm single, so I really don't care. Yeah. Family Day, I don't spend it with the family, so yeah. they're all out of town. I really yeah. don't care. Um, so that's it. Reading those well, are like the reading two days. week. You're not in. I'm yeah. not in school, uh, so I'm good. Fuck. So there's really nothing. Super Bowl though, that's which fair. we which we will get to later in the episode. We're going to uh, lay some predictions down. They might not be the predictions that you're thinking, but uh, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. We're gonna get into some hockey. Tonight, but it is worth noting that uh, we're coming off the All-Star break here. I'm sure something crazy is going to happen in Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh tonight uh, that we'll find out about after we record this episode because I'm sure we're going to miss something current event. But not a lot really happened. It was just kind of the All-Star game. There was a trade. We're going to get to all that. Um, But we'll start off as we do every week, uh, especially this time of year. Did you see any movies, James? Uh, Just one with you. Jesus, because I was going to say I have none, but we did actually see... We went to the movies. <laughs> we did see yeah. movies. We saw Glass. We saw Glass. We saw Glass. What do you think? Because I don't even think we really talked about it. And that was the last did. time I saw you, I think. Yeah. So. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't really the ending I was it. expecting, but I liked it. It, it. In a way, it was the ending I was expecting, because M. Night Shyamalan is well known for A, no big budget sort of scenes. Like, he's not a big budget kind of movie guy. Mm-hmm. And secondly, for kind of letting you down easy at the end. Mm. And he sort of did that with this movie, not to spoil too much. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there's more to come, maybe, from that series. Because so, eh? it it's a sort of a loose ending sort of ending. I mean, you could know, be, could be ties something, up enough, but there's still more that could happen, I guess. Like, yeah. I don't know. But uh, I enjoyed it. I did. I would give it a 7 out of 10, oh, I would you. say. I uh, I spent six hours that day getting caught up on the entire series, right. going to watch Glass itself. So, uh, yeah, overall, uh, 
from start to finish. Great, great little trilogy there, and uh, I recommend. You got a great okay. Well, you got to grade each movie because you saw all three Ooh, for the first time. Fair. See, I did like I did watch movies this week, but they were movies I've seen before. So yeah. See, I don't know. Like, we're gonna I, talk about one later. In the I episode. think I think Unbreakable is my favorite of the three. But I, think... I would say so too, but it's not necessarily the best movie. That's the funny yeah, thing. That's yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's the most intriguing script, I would say. Right, like because Split, I, I think Split is just a pure, like let's let's not let's not kid ourselves about Split. Split is purely an hour and forty five minutes where we get to sit down and appreciate the fact that James McAvoy might be the most underrated actor on the planet. Right, that's true. Like we like we get to just sit there and be like. Like if this movie, if it if he wasn't half as good of an actor as he is, this would be a terrible movie. But because he's so good at just shifting and doing different characters, like he's unbelievable in those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and great. like that's the thing too. Like you're watching Split, and I don't know if it was public knowledge because I I certainly didn't didn't know about it when it came out. But you're watching Split, you get to the ending, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, this is a sequel. Because I had no idea that it had I mean, anything to do with I wouldn't say it was necessarily, like, advertised that way, but, like, M. Night Shyamalan was pretty clear about the oh, fact was he? that it was. Okay. Yeah, but... Um, Must have missed that. Yeah, it wasn't, like, one of those ones where every single moviegoer goes to the movie and then gets, like, this huge surprise at the, at the last right. ten seconds. I mean, you do, but, um, yeah, no, it was well known to be part of the series anyway, but still. And then, like, it's funny, because then you, you look at Glass and, like, it's almost like you get... The best of both worlds from Split and Unbreakable. It's in very Glass, true. So because I, that was the one thing I didn't really even think about when we went to go see Glass was how those two movies, like those three actors, were going to kind of get together and sort of collaborate yeah. with these three characters or thirty nine characters, I guess, depending on Ooh. how you want to look at it. But I, I thought it was great. I thought Samuel Jackson was pretty good. Yeah, I thought Bruce Willis, as always, was pretty good. Um, the nurses were great. You know, those guys were hilarious. Yeah, Wade so. Wade runs into some problems there. But if you just if you Drink just some water. if you just went to work and did your job, everything would have been fine. But no, yeah. So anyway, I, I, give I, it I, I watched seven out of ten. Seven, yeah, it's around. I think all three of them are around that. Like, yeah, they're not too far off. Unbreakable's each other, your favorite so. though of yeah, the three. I think so. I think okay, so. yeah, well, good. Although I will say McAvoy's my favorite performance, so eh, that's fair. No, yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Like he's he's something else in those. Right. Not my favorite actor of the three, but he's something else in that yeah. movie for sure. I also watched the uh, the Fire documentary, and, and that's oh that's, the Fire Fest. Yeah. What'd you think? That was that's fucked. It's fucked, eh? Yeah. It's so what? Uh, like, first off, do you think that they end up making a movie about it, like a, a scripted film? I hope not. No? No. Because it was a lot of discussion that, uh, like, Seth Rogen was looking into doing that. Like, Seth Rogen and, like, James Franco and those guys were going to, like, make this movie. But it was kind of unclear from which perspective they were going to be if, if, like, Seth was going to be Billy. But it seemed more likely that, like, he was going to be, like, a patron of the festival. Now, it wasn't going to be, like, a true... It was going to be loosely based. I was going to say, if if it's, like, a comedy type thing... Yeah, yeah, no, it was going to be, like, a legitimate, just, like... Basically, all the things that went wrong okay. at Firefest, but they're going to try to make it funny and not so dramatic. Now, now I should be clear. I don't feel bad for really anyone that went for that festival in terms of like the money that they spent to go and kind of got ripped off. Like, I don't really feel bad about that. I do sort of feel bad about you know the fact that if anyone got hurt or anything like that happened. I mean, that sucks. But I feel bad for the uh, people of the Bahamas. 
Oh, I feel terrible for people there that were relying on that as an industry. Well, yeah, and how the hell do they know this this multi-million dollar company, air quotes, comes in and is like, we want to throw this festival here, and by the way, we're going to do it for the next five years, and this is really going to, you know, your economy is going to be booming from this. What are they going to say? Of course they're going to say yes. Like, this is the most exciting opportunity that they've had in so long. Why wouldn't you want to do it? You've got fucking, you know, the Migos coming to the island, or Disclosure coming to the island, neither of which I'm really familiar with, but... Yeah. Who? The Lost Lonely. Uh, you talking about the guys that sing Heaven? No. That's who the Lost Lonely Boys are. Yeah. Who came to Blues Fest a few years ago? The Lost Lonely Boys were here. That doesn't sound right. Are you talking about the guys that sing La Bamba? Yeah. Different different band. Okay. I don't remember what they're called. Okay. I'm going to call them Lost Charos, but that's not <laughs> what they're called. Um, that's, that's what I was thinking of, anyway. Yeah. Lost Lonely Boys. Here, I got it. Actually, maybe it is the same band. They might sing both. Okay, so here comes heaven. That's heaven. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Not what I was thinking of. Uh, maybe they don't sing La Bamba. Who do you think sings La Bamba? Do you have a prediction here? Um, Lost somebody. Lost Lobos. Well, they were also here. Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking of then. Yeah, you know. Yeah. La Bamba. I'm down. The the McDonald's theme song. Yeah. Let's go. Different bands. Yeah. Maybe they'll come in the Bahamas. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that would have been great. So, you watched it. I mean, it was a good documentary. Yeah, it was. Fuck those guys. I mean, at the end of the day. Fuck Ja Rule. Yeah. Fuck them all. Yeah. Um, Did you watch anything else? That's it. That's it. I uh, I didn't really watch anything new nah. this week. I was making fun of you last week, so I decided to take a week off. Take sure. it a little slow. I watched uh, The Descendants hmm. today, okay. which we're going to talk about later in the show. Spoiler alert. Oh. Um, I'm spoiled. I watched The Fix, which is a show. It's not a movie, but it's a Netflix show with Jimmy Carr, a bunch of comedians. That show's fantastic. Uh, definitely would recommend. But yeah, that was pretty much it. I, I didn't do anything else. I forgot about Glass. Late week, with you. you know? Yeah, well, whatever. I wasn't home quite as much this week as sure. I, I normally was. I normally have Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. I didn't have Tuesday off. Today I was writing an article all day, so I didn't really do anything. So, yeah, here we are. Okay. Should we talk some hockey? Get into some hockey. Let's let's get to it. Let's do it. Uh, the All-Star Game happened this weekend. Now, I should preface this by saying I did not watch the All-Star Game. I, it was on... In the background of a bar that I was at, I didn't watch the All-Star Game. But what I didn't think I was going to watch, and I did watch the entirety of, was the All-Star Skills Competition. And I will be very candid when I say, the only reason I watched the All-Star Skills Competition this year was because um, Kendall Coyne, because Renata Fast, uh, Rebecca Johnston, and Brianna Decker were going to be there. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was the only reason why I watched the skills competition. I'm not going to lie, I was pretty happy uh, that I did watch it because I liked uh, I liked what I saw there. Like It was fantastic. Right. It was yeah. fantastic. The fact that Kendall Coyne is as small as she is and only like was within a second of Connor McDavid, like that's insane. Because if she had longer legs, yeah, she'd be well, arguably just down. as fast. Like, look at how fucking quick she was moving. Right. I mean, like, because you're smaller, too, there's less of you to carry around, too, yeah. but still. And, like, I remember I heard about her first, and I thought... I, yeah, I, I had no I, I idea it was about the just, other three. I thought it was just the one. And like, I, like, 
you know, I don't watch women's hockey, but like, I feel like I, I'm sort of familiar with at least the members of the Olympic team. Sure. And like, you know, I'm I, like, I follow Renata fast on smo- social media. I didn't hear anything about her even going. Like, she didn't even say anything that she was going. Yeah. So like, I literally turned on the competition and saw her in the background. I'm like, is that fucking Renata fast from the Canadian team? Mm-hmm. Found out there was four of them that went, which was great. Yeah. I do have one complaint. Which I don't know about you. Did you watch the skills competition? A little bit. I didn't get to see yeah. the whole thing, but I was in and out, popping in. Now I might have missed it because again I was working on an article that night. Um, I don't remember seeing Renata Fast on my feed, so I don't think they actually showed it. But I find that hard to believe, considering I was watching the Canadian feed and she's a Canadian Olympic silver medalist. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I missed it. I think though, unless I didn't show her at all. But regardless, I think it was great that they did it. It You know, it was pure proof that they can kind of go toe-to-toe with the best players in the world, and they really shouldn't be, you know what I mean? Like, you could mix them for a weekend, is what I'm saying. Like, put them together for a weekend, do this skills competition, like, why not? Because it's a skills competition. It's not like you're asking, you know, a 110-pound Kendall Coyne to try and wrestle 250-pound... Brent Burns in the corner in a fucking puck battle. Like, mm. you know what I mean? It's not like that's what's going on. It's skills competition. They can go toe-to-toe with the men, clearly. Yeah. And, you maybe, know... Maybe not the hardest shot with Shea uh, Weber, but, I mean, it you would know. be pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah. You know? The, you know? No, and, like, that's the thing. Like, you look at... Um, Your mechanics would have to be pretty good on that yeah. shot to get some strength from like as, poundage you don't as, have. As amazing but. as, as Coin's effort was in the fastest lap, I think, Decker came out and she won an event. Yeah. Like... Like, <laughs> yeah, she hands down won an event, yeah. and all of a sudden now we've got this controversy. Like she's gonna get paid so hard too. And that event, like I was thinking about that the whole time, and I'm watching Eric Carlson, who's you know widely considered to be like the best passer in the fucking National Hockey League, and I'm watching him try to do this, and he's struggling, and I'm like, oh my god, like how hard must this be? Decker comes up. It makes it look like a joke, mm-hmm. and he, like runs through. What was her time? Like a minute and ten? Or I don't. Something I don't like remember that? the time. I just remember she made it her pass. It was around. Was... And now, like there was controversy. I didn't actually see this. I think they ended up finding out that she was sort of tied with Drysaddle or something time wise. Because hmm. I think t- Drysaddle was like he was like one oh eight or one eleven or one twelve. But didn't, something like didn't that. Drysaddle miss one and just made up time by? I don't know. Hurrying another pass up or something. That's possible. I, I don't know. I, I thought he did fine, but yeah, because. From, I remember watching from what Dreisaitl. I remember, like Decker didn't miss a single pass. Okay, and like maybe it just took her a little just longer to get side to did side. It, did but... it correctly yeah. rather than rushing it, sort right. of thing. Because Drysaddle didn't like necessarily make it look easy. Like he missed a bunch, um, but he still hit everything by the end of it. Yeah. And I remember watching him; like he was clearly very impressive at what he was doing. But, right. Um, you know, obviously to come in as a woman and be the first time we've ever done this, and they're going toe to toe with the athletes in essentially every event, like. There's really no excuse why we shouldn't do this more often. Sure. You know what I mean? Because they're clearly elite athletes at the sport. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a different concept from being, um, you know, like an American Hockey League player and being best at the American Hockey League. Like, the women are the best in the world at being female hockey players. Right. And they can still do the events with the men. So, so here, here's the way I see you. it is, is, is mix them together. Like, why not? It's, yeah. They're not... A member of a of an association that rivals the NHL, they're just separate from the NHL. Right. It's not like the KHL where it's a rival or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's a different thing. Here's an idea for you: next year's All Star Game instead of the four divisions, we keep the four divisions, 
we add an all-rookie team, and we add a women's all-star team. And now we've got a six-team little mini-tournament, and you get to showcase the best of the women athletes in the sport. And, you know, maybe they don't win, but, you know, maybe they beat the rookies, or maybe they beat one of the divisions, and they're, you know, find themselves in the finals, maybe, you know, like... Yeah, does it the, generate a little bit of buzz, you think? It'd be the rookies versus the women every year in the oh, finals. would be the oh, most boy. hilarious That'd thing. be awesome. That'd be great. Just pure speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess the one argument here, and, and the point is that, you know, I guess the casual fan pays to see the best in the sport and the name that they recognize, and you know what I mean? The kids going to watch Nathan McKinnon and nothing else. Uh, that's funny that that was my example because that kid would have been mighty disappointed when Nathan McKinnon was standing there talking with Pierre Maguire for three hours on Friday night. But I mean, like, you know what I mean? This kid's coming to see, uh, fuck, all I can name is players that weren't there. Brent Burns. Brent Burns oh, was on the ice. He big, was there. Yeah, kid's coming to see Brent Burns and you know what I mean? Like, he's not coming to see Renata Fast or like fucking, I don't know, who's a rookie? Miro Heiskanen or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, he's there to see his guy, mm-hmm. and, you know what I mean? For So for the casual fan, maybe they're, they're not going to care. But, you know, you might generate some interest from, you know, your your diehard fan and give them a reason to actually and be maybe... interested in the game. Because, like, uh, for me, the reason I was interested is because I don't... I haven't watched Kendall Coyne or Renata Fast or, or Brianna Decker or Rebecca Johnston since the Olympics. Sure. You know what I mean? So, and like, I, I'm, I'm interested in watching it. I'm interested to see their skills because I don't get to see them all the time. I wouldn't even limit it to your diehard fans. Like, you're going to have a, an audience of, of women hockey athletes that are... Exactly. Like, they're going to want to tune in now. Exactly. Right? And it's... They're not necessarily diehards, but, like, maybe they're fans of the Calgary Inferno. And, mm-hmm. oh, hey, two of our, our players are at the All-Star. Boom. Now you've got that much more of an audience. Sure. And, sure, you, you, don't, you don't get the casual fan of San Jose, but you get... The guy watching at home in, in Calgary or in Buffalo for the Buttes or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so many more options in terms of if, if the NHL could come together with the Women's League to some degree and say, hey, look, like, you guys have fantastic athletes. We have fantastic athletes. Why don't we take the best of what we have, put it together, create something special. 100%. And showcase it to the world. Exactly. Right? And it's not to blame the NHL for not having done it before. Like, I get it. Sure. It's a National Hockey League skills competition. But what what I'm saying here, what you're saying is, is this is an opportunity to grow the game mm-hmm. to an audience that is very clearly interested in the game. Yeah. Like, there are, like... It, it seems like in Thunder Bay, there's... Like, I don't know for sure. It seems like there's probably just as many female hockey players there used to be as boys hockey just is dying you know yeah, what i mean in a yeah. city like this like because like i mean i like it seems like every time we go to the rink like the fury and the queens and everyone are on the ice and like all i hear about in thunder minor the numbers dying off and then flakehead minor the numbers dying off and you know like clearly there are girls who are interested in playing hockey who are who are enjoying it you know i mean i remember growing up and being around they were two years younger but the queens team uh with with the 94 year that went and, and won the national championship with Brianna Isolino and, uh, you know, that whole team that went and, and, and did it. And at that moment, you know, they were the pride of Thunder Bay hockey, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have gone on to do great things and are, are playing, you know, semi-professional hockey at this point. You know, Caitlin Tugas is over in Sweden. And, like, how many of the guys that moved on or how many of the guys seem to have a passion for it or whatever, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and they didn't. There's clearly an audience here, there's clearly an opportunity, and I think the NHL did a great thing to try to market it, and I think they should do more of that. 
yeah, to I appeal agree. to an audience yeah. that's clearly there and clearly interested in hockey. Yeah, and yeah. There, there's so much talk about the future of of where the league is heading and you know Europe and all and all this. Like, do, do you think we get to a point where we ever see a woman in the NHL? See, it's going to be hard to say. I mean, like, I don't see why not. It's just the problem is, is like we alluded to earlier, like you're going to have an advantage generally if you're bigger. Like that's going to be one thing where size is going to matter for a while, because if you're you know five foot four and 120 pounds, it doesn't matter what gender you are. You're going to have a hard time making the National Hockey League, regardless. Elias Pettersson's doing just fine. <laughs> all right. Uh... Um, you know, like, regardless, like, I guess on an average, you're talking about smaller hockey players in general. Sure. Um, so, you know, as the game does start to trend towards smaller players right now, like, I guess that's a good sign for some of the smaller girls and some of the smaller guys and, and what have you that are out there playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, other than that, like, why not? If they can play the game at the level that everyone yeah. else in the league can, right. what the hell's the difference? Like, that that's always been my opinion. It shouldn't matter what gender or what color or whatever this goaltender is that can stop, you know, 45 shots a night. Like, put her or put him or they in the net. What's yeah, the difference? Exactly. You know what I mean? If they can play it at the level, um, then the skill level remains the skill level. And if they can play it, then they deserve to be in the right. league. And I think that's where it ends for me. Like, why not? Because we're talking about a 30-second NHL team at this point. Maybe more down the road, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe we're looking mm-hmm. at another round of expansion. Where is the talent going to come from? You know, the talent's going right. to get to a point where... Well, and why limited? The right? women are yeah. just as good, if not better, than some of the men that are in the league. And and that's the thing. Like, I, I just think that... I, well, I mean, like, you know, let's talk on personal experience. I mean, we're not NHL players, but, like, how many girls or women do you know that are better than you at hockey? Yeah. Like, I know plenty, yeah, you, know, yeah, <laughs> you know what definitely. I mean? Like, I know plenty that are better than me. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, I mean, we're not NHL players, but, like, as you go up the skill spectrum, that doesn't go away. Sure. Like, there are still going to be women that are better than guys that arguably make the NHL. Now, like, the thing that goes back to me, and you're going to hear this regardless, is it's going to go back to the Serena Williams, John McEnroe comment, where he said, you know, Serena Williams wouldn't be in the top 1,200 men tennis players in the world. You know, how, how could you argue that she's the best of all time? You're going to hear some idiot guy argue that, where, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, Haley Wickenheiser yeah. wouldn't have... Of you know, I mean, maybe she would have, maybe she wouldn't have. I I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying, it does make sense to me. It does stand a reason that there is a spot for There's women in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't know. And maybe the number is small. Like maybe it's only one or two women in the world at a given time are capable of playing in the league. And maybe the number is zero. I don't know. Hmm. But I'm saying it stands to reason to me anyway. Logic yeah. would dictate the more spots that, there are for rosters, then the more yeah, opportunity I mean, there is. Yeah, so absolutely, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you know. If Roman Polak's got a spot in the league, then... You know, yeah. So, uh, speaking of Leafs defense... Well, Roman Polak's not in the Leafs anymore, but speaking of uh, the corpse of what used to be the Toronto Maple Leafs defense, it's now pretty decent, I guess I would say. There was a trade this week. Did you hear about a trade, James? No. A trade, a trade. you say? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs acquired Jake Muzzin from the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for a 2019 first-round pick forward Carl Grundstrom, and defenseman Sean Dersey. I think I heard something about that. Yeah. Let me 
ring a little bell. Yeah. So, do you do you need to know anything about those players? Are you familiar with these players? Um, he won a cup, right? Muzzin. He he won a something somewhere with somebody at some point. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings of oh, the National okay. Hockey League. Okay. Yeah. He was like what, like a seventh, eighth defenseman on that roster, somewhere, somewhere around um, there. He uh, was, he was number two, probably. Okay. Probably number two defenseman behind an, uh, a gentleman named uh, Drew Dogdy. That that's, that sounds like a pretty good addition, then, if you ask me. It's it's not going to hurt. That's for sure. I mean, you've already got John Tavares. I mean, he's going to wear number eight. He's no. Aki Berg or Carlo Koliakovo. Hey, Connor Carrick. Connor Carrick. Let's not get ourselves Tim Gleason. Mike Commissary. <laughs> it's a good deal. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. I mean, like, you know, let's not sit here and say that, like, the LA Kings got fleeced. I'm going to turn this off now. Let, let's not sit here and say, like, the Kings got fleeced and ripped off in this deal. Like, they get a good haul. It is a little less than I thought Jake Muzzin was going to garner. I really thought like he was a very, very tough package to kind of land. Yeah. Now that would have been a year ago. Now we're at this point because like you, I mean, you can back me up on this. I've been saying for probably two years that the Leafs should go after Jake Muzzin. And I've heard you say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now the Kings are at a point where he's available, but also the Leafs are at a point where he's coming at a price where maybe he would have gone much more. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's a first and a second and a high-end prospect a few years ago. Right. Because he was within the conversation of making the Olympic team in 2014. He didn't make the cut, but I believe he was the final cut or whatever. Something. Like, he was really close. He was, he was in the 20, World Cup. 2018, he was more than likely going to make it this past year if there were if there was a team. Yeah. You know, he so... He played for Babcock at the World Cup. He was yeah. on Team Canada there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like, we're talking about a guy who was one of the more, you know, one of the elite defensemen in the league for Canadian defensemen. Uh, 17th best possession numbers amongst uh, left-handed defensemen, 39th overall. Yeah. Um, the one good. concern here, I guess, is that there's a lot of debate as to whether or not he's actually played the right side. Um, Daryl Sutter, I guess, made some comments, his former coach, about how Jake Muzzin's never played the, the right side. Not one game. Um, as someone who used to watch about 60 LA Kings games a year, I can confirm he's played the right side. I just don't think it's been that often. I've seen him do it a handful of times. But yeah. there's, um, there's been some discussion about Riley playing the right side. If it hasn't if it he though, Did, didn't he I with Phaneuf? I can't, I can't remember. But because he played with Phaneuf and he's played with Gardner enough minutes, where like yeah. I think Gardner's played the right side with Riley. Yeah. But I feel like Riley when he was young, I remember him getting stuck with Phaneuf on the right side. Right. I can't and remember Phaneuf who it was on the it was, left. It was and I was like Myrtle or Siegel or one of those athletic Leaf guys. They were yeah. talking about how one of Muzzin, Riley, or Gardner is going to play the right side. And it's just a matter yeah. of who it is, who's yeah. more comfortable. And I think I think that's a good problem to have. I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, like, you know, at the end of the day, if Muzzin or Riley aren't comfortable doing it, you know, we've seen Gardner do it enough times. Then you stick Gardner with Riley, sure. and you put Muzzin with Zaitsev. Like, at the end yeah. of the day, what's the fucking problem? Like, yeah. you know, it's not the end of the world. So, at the end of the day, the, the Maple Leafs improve their defense core in my opinion, it's not even close to what it was well, last week. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you look at the the playoffs is where it all matters, right? And that's where it comes down to. And, and a lot of times, you can hide your third pair mm-hmm. in a lot of games. Maybe not games, you know, two, three, four. But games five, six, seven, you can hide your third pair. If, if they have to, you know? they, they will. 
Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, their third pairing now is Travis Dermott and Ron Hainsey. Like, how much hiding is that third pairing going to need? It's hard to say what Hainsey looks like now with Dermott, with a faster defenseman than Riley, but maybe not as smart as Riley. I, I think it opens up you Dermott's know. potential, too, a little bit, because Dermott, I think, I was think restricted so. a little bit. You know, he's been playing with the rookie Ojeganov all year. Well, he's been fine. Last year, he played with, you know, Polak quite a bit, who was Carrick. a shell of his former self. Yeah. Carrick, who was not having a good year last year. I think he played some time with Marincin a little bit. Um, like you look at the way Riley plays the game, and he's played the the whole season with Riley, uh, with Hainsey, mm-hmm. and like, he's always up in the rush. He's you know he's fifty points, he's second in the league in, in defensive points, and now you're going to stick that guy that played with him on the third pair with Dermot. I think that's a green light for Dermot. I mm-hmm. think that says let I agree. go for it. Like if you want to hop up, hop up. Yeah. Because Ron, for all of his faults, he's dependable. Like you don't have to really worry about Ron Hainsey well, back there. Ron Hainsey, if nothing else, is incredibly smart and he doesn't get credit for that now that's going to happen when you play 1100 well 10 a thousand and a bit games in the national hockey league but at the end of the day like he knows he's not fast anymore and we talk on this podcast sometimes about defensemen you know needing to adjust as the laws of nature do their work and you know shea weber is one of those guys where we talk about you know he's losing a step how's he going to adjust Petrangelo's another guy we've pointed out. He's lost a step. You know, how's he going to adjust? And he seems to be adjusting. Hainsey's a guy who's adjusted. And, like, that's all he's done his entire career. Like, he was drafted as an offensive defenseman. And basically, whoever it was, I can't remember, Tortorella or someone told him, like, you're never, or no, Claude Julien or something, told him, like, you're never going to make the NHL if you think you're going to pass your way there. He's like, you got to change your game. He changed his game. He's played over 1,000 games in National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, he's not a fucking offensive defenseman anymore. No. In fact, that's his fault. He's passing the puck. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, the thing fair. he's the worst at. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, I think it's a great move for the Leafs. I really don't think there's any question there. What this does now is there's long-term implications here where, you know, this is pretty much the writings on the wall for Jake Gardner. Or the Leafs are going to have to find Muzzin a new home this summer. Or like, it's pretty much got to be... I mean, you can you could potentially make it work. Uh, I still think they probably are going to have to move Zaitsev and or Gardner at this point yeah. too. Like I think they would be best served to move both because I, if I, not, they're going to have an issue with a Janssen or a Kapanen on top of you know like, like let's sure. assume they get Matthews and Marner signed. Like they're still going to have an issue with another guy. Yeah, you know, there's probably going to be two guys out this off season, not one. Yeah, and a lot of fans. Hainsey think it's comes one. off the books for sure. Hainsey comes off the books. Maybe you move Marlowe. But even still, if you like, win your cup, I think Marlowe retires. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> aren't that's they on the hook? If. They're on the hook for that cap hit, though. I think even if he retires, uh, like I think they're better off if he continues to play. Signed it before he was 37, so I don't know how that works. I, th- I think it's 35 plus. Oh, I don't okay. think it's 37. That's fair. Yeah, because sure. there's such a thing as a 35 plus contract. Oh, so I believe how that works is if they retire on the duration of the contract, you're on. You're so the Leafs are screwed pretty much. Even if they trade him and he were to retire. In September, the Leafs are still on the hook for it. I wonder if there are any spots opening up on uh, Roby Daw Island anytime soon. <laughs> it's not Roby Daw Island, okay? The, the ferry it is, hasn't it, been it, running it is, the last few seasons. It is now Horton Island, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah. What uh, What do you think of what the Leafs gave up? So, uh, I was never really crazy about Dursey, although, like, you know, we're, we're speculating. Even the experts that watch these guys, you don't know. Scouts don't know. There's no way to know. Like, like, to quote Moneyball, there's no fucking magic book. Like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. That said, I was never crazy about Dursey. Dursey's one of those guys, and we've seen it before, like, if you're constantly hurt in junior, 
a lot of those guys have a really big problem getting it done and adjusting to the level that people think they will. Right. Now, if Dursey hits his, his potential, he's a top four defenseman in the National Hockey League. But my argument is that, you know, if he's barely playing in junior, and then he's going to be spending time in the American Hockey League trying to catch up ground he lost because he was hurt in junior, and, you know, get that experience he didn't get, you know, you're going to miss a development step. And at some point, you're going to be not quite what everyone thought you would be. So, to me, at best, he's an NHL defenseman. At, you know, likelihood, he's a guy who's going to hop in and out and be a power play specialist to me. And, you know, I don't think you're necessarily giving up an Eric Carlson or a, uh, you know, a Brent Burns here. This could go off to be my worst take of all time in, like, five years. It's going to be fun to dig that up. Mm. Uh, Grunstrom, I think, is a definite NHL player. There's no question to me that he's an NHL player. Um, Middle middle six. will be. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't see why not. To yeah. me, to me, I was saying to a guy at work the night of the trade, Carl Grundstrom strikes me as a uh, a third line left winger that can play in your top six, that can make a difference, but he's not going to drive the line necessarily. Um, a more skilled Zach Hyman, a faster Zach Hyman. Um, I think he really closer gets... to a Janssen. Almost, yeah, I was say, you know he, what I mean. He really seemed to get surpassed by Janssen over the last yeah. year or so. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Janssen's older and yeah. had been working away at it, and Janssen just got better quicker. Like right. he had the years on Grunstrom. Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, ultimately, I think you're still talking about two guys that are going to play for the LA Kings or someone in the National Hockey League. Uh, what they do with that first round pick—that's kind of you know going to be a big thing in that trade. But I think it's going to be how they develop those two guys. Because that first round pick, it's going to be hard to say. That's on their scouting staff. You know, it's sort of out of their hands at this point because that pick could be anywhere from about 19th to 31st, right? Like, that that's something yeah. that people were forgetting on Twitter. Like, they're talking about, you're talking about a, a 19th to 25th overall pick. Well, not necessarily. If the trade works out the way the Leafs want it to, then it's the 31st overall pick and they win the Stanley Cup. So... You know, you're talking at once you get out of the top twenty, the pick values sort of really plateau, drops, yeah. and you know you're still talking about a pick that's you know if it's twenty fourth overall, you rather have twenty fourth and thirty first. I get no, it. No, yeah, but there's yeah. analytics that state that there's just as many players that turn out at twenty fourth than they do at thirty ninth. Right. So like at the end of the day, they're giving up an early second rounder sort of thing if all goes well. I don't know. I'm fine with the pick. I don't care. I'm never going to miss the pick. I might yeah. miss those players, but I, I would never miss a pick. It, unless they ever wore a Leaf jersey. How the fuck would I... You know what I mean? I don't miss Tyler Sagan. That's <laughs> like, fair. You know what I mean? I don't care. He was never a Leaf. Like, yeah. they took a risk. It didn't pay off, but whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't remember if I've said it here, but I've, I've definitely been saying... I think uh, since uh, five minutes after they signed John Tavares on July 1st that... Uh, this was the year to move the pick. Yeah, and what are you going to get out of it at this point? You're, you're, you're talking Absolutely. about you're talking about three or four years separation from Austin Matthews uh, and Mitch Marner, and by the time that guy's ready to go, like we're, we're at a point now where like Lilgren and Sandine are almost too far behind, right? So to develop another guy in the first round pick from where you're going to draft them that late in the round, it's not worth it. Just move on from it. Uh, and I mean, you know what I saw out of this trade too was that. Dubas was willing to say that a year or two from now, he's okay with losing two guys on the current roster because he's so sure about Lilligren and Sandine, or maybe yeah, someone else in the organization true. we don't know about. Because, like, let's be honest here, that trade was pretty much saying, like, I know Travis Dermott is what I think he is, and I know one of Sandine and Lilligren are an NHL impact defenseman. Oh, yeah. Because you don't make that 
trade, I don't think, if you're sort of unsure about your prospect pool, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have some level of certainty in what you still have there. Rosen's looking really solid in the AHL, Callie too. Rosen's another know. guy that doesn't get talked like, about who's going who's gonna to play in the National yeah. Hockey League next like, year, I would like think. Jersey, for 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 his, his youth and, 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 and where he's at right now, yeah, he could be anything. But he's already behind too many guys where you're not going to replace Dermot with Jersey. You're not going to replace Riley with Jersey. You're not going to replace Sandine or Lilgren unless right. they really fall off well, yeah, with a I guy mean, like Jersey. Like so, where, where do we want to be is, is four years from now and we've got Matthews and Marner signed and Tavares signed and, you know, a third of the guys who are on the team right now aren't here anymore and we're like, yeah, hopefully we get that number one or that number one defenseman this year. Yeah. Like, hopefully Lilligren turns out this year. This has got to be the year. Like, right. let's just swing for it now and see what happens. Exactly. And, you know, I've been saying for years, people ask me, is it the Leafs year? And, and like, the last two years I knew they were going to lose in the first round. I'm really not sure this year. I think now we've kind of gotten to a point where I do see a team that is capable of doing some damage. Because, you know, like, talk to as many Leaf fans as you want, and I'm sure a lot of them see the team through rose-colored glasses. But, like, I, like, you don't. And if you don't, I 100% don't, because I'm way more negative about the team than you are. And to me, that this was just never that good of a team. Now we're talking about a really good team. Yeah. Like, this is a dangerous team, we're, for sure. We're at a point now where I'm I'm scared of one team in our own, our own conference, and maybe two in the other. And if you can get past that one team in your own conference, I am not worried about anybody from the Metro, and I'm not worried about anybody from the Pacific. I'll go that far. So... Yeah. I really uh we're in a we're in a I really want that that conference final against the Capitals. Sure. Best case best case scenario like this is the Leafs ideal road to vindication, okay? This is it. Let's plan the parade right now, okay? All right. So they beat the Canadians in 5 first round. Sure. Beat the Bruins in 7 in the second round. Okay. You beat the Capitals in 6 in the third round. Okay. And then uh, fuck it doesn't matter. I'll give you one Calgary better. Flames or something. I'll give you one final. better. They beat the Islanders in the conference finals. In four, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to beat Robin Leonard. I like Robin Leonard. <laughs> John, John Tavares gets the final word. Yeah. Leo, who? Lou, who? Matt Martin, who? Lou, who? See you. See you later. Little Lou, who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite character from The Grinch, <laughs> Lou, who? Era. Lou Lamorello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come up with a uh, a limerick for Lou Lamorello as uh, the the general manager of Whoville next week. Love it. Um, so what we're gonna do now is we I guess get close to wrapping up the hockey talk for the week. But I mean th- this will this will fuel some discussion. the The All Star break is also the point of the year where the PHWA Professional Hockey Writers Association votes on their mid season awards, and the Professional Hockey Writers Association is nothing if not a group of 95% idiots. But some of them are pretty good. <laughs> some writers are okay. Um, I I will say this is the listening, listening to writers beat each other's head in every year about what the Hart Trophy means and how to vote on the Hart Trophy and like how you should look at the Hart Trophy winner every year is one of my favorite things to listen to. I love listening to it. 
it's not even one of those things where it's like you hear a hundred times and it's like, fuck, like, are we still listening to this? I love it. I live for it. It's probably my favorite thing about hockey. So, so that said, we are going to give our votes for the midseason awards, even though we are not in the PHWA, so we can make fun of them, but we are W's, I guess. So, we're just not... We're, we're, we're HWAs, HWs, but we're not... Yeah. But we're not P's. P's. No, one's, no one's paying us no, for this yet. No, not yet. Uh, so, I'm going to list them in order that I have them to throw you off. Nice. Uh, we are going to start with Behind the Bench, where it all begins, with the head coach and your Jack Adams pick so far this year. I'll have to go first? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, we did three with each? Three people on our ballots, yeah. I'm going to start with third. Uh, build up sure. a little anticipation sure, here. So, uh, my number three for the Jack Adams, and I know this is going <clears> to <throat> cause a bit of a stir, uh, Ken Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so here was the thing about this segment, is I didn't really think we were going to like get too deep into a lot of these picks. We're going to need to hear about that one, though. I'm sure I can speak for everyone listening. Yeah, that's fair. Please speak about Ken Hitchcock, sir. Look, I'm not saying that he's getting the Oilers into the playoffs. Is this a sympathy vote where you just feel bad for the guy having to deal with this fucking shithole? Not really. I just feel, I feel like he's... He lives there, man. Don't feel bad for him. He's found a he's way anyway. to just, like... Look, look, the Oilers should not be in the conversation of the playoffs at this point. And Conrad David is Conrad David, and he will do certain things that allow you to win certain hockey games. But I think Ken Hitchcock did make a decent change to the style that the Oilers played, especially in the defensive zone, that has allowed them to squeak out a couple more 2-1 to wins. The Oilers' biggest problem the first half of the season was that they were getting two or three points out of McDavid every night, but... The other team was getting five, six, seven goals. So Ken Hitchcock has changed things up enough where maybe they're only allowing one or two goals, and Connor McDavid can still put up two or three points a night, and now they're getting, you know, two or three more wins, and it's allowed them to stay in the hunt. Now, again, this is third. This is not the guy who I think should get the Jack Adams at this point. Yeah. I just think he's the best that's, that's, third place that's option. That's probably why I'm not going to have a rebuttal. Okay. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> You want me to keep going, or yeah, you're going to no, give get, me three? Yeah, let's get all three. Okay. We don't need to... Uh, no, no, number two for me, uh, John Cooper. Okay. The Lightning are doing some great things this year. You know, it's they're going to be the second team ever to, like, hit 38 wins in 50 games or Who something stupid. Who could possibly so. be your number one? <sighs> Barry Trotz. Yeah. 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 Um, I would have to imagine that when the PHWA did this vote, that there was probably only one other award where the voting was this runaway. Because I would imagine this was everyone's number one. But, yeah. Um, my number one was Barry Trotz. My number two is John Cooper. Nice. And my number three is Bill Peters. I I had Bill on the radar. Yeah, yeah, like, at the end of the day, this this the team made some changes that's helped. But, yeah. you know, credit where credit is due. They are demonstratively better than than what they were last year. The Flames made some changes where it improved the roster and they're winning. The Islanders made some changes where they should be doing worse, and yeah. yet they're doing better. Yeah, so they, that's, they, yeah. yeah. And you can't even say they started a rebuild. <laughs> they It's like Lou knew that this was a good team and Trotz was going to consider... Because they signed veterans. They were like, oh, we're going to sign Phil Pilla. Lou knew who? Lou, Lou. <laughs> so, yeah. They signed Phil Pilla who's like one of the worst possession players in the league. They signed Martin and Komarov, 
who legitimately are like the worst possession players in the league. Yeah. Could they have Tavares. the puck more? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> they have the puck more than they did last year. Um, so good for Barry Trotz. I yeah. think he's doing a fantastic job, sure. and I like Barry Trotz. So sure. And you know what? Like even in all this, I'm I'm rooting against Islander fans because they annoy the fuck out of me. But I'm not rooting against the Islanders. I really want that team to do well. Yeah, it's good for them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure. I, I think it's great. Uh, the Lady Bing. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so for the Bing. most, uh, for those of you at home listening who do not know, so the Jack Adams was coach of the year. Uh, the Lady Bing is the most gentlemanly player while playing at a high level. I don't know. I'm not That's reading fair. something like that. I got a couple Homer picks here. Uh, so Holy num- man! Number three, you're brutal. Number three, Morgan Riley, and yeah. it's about time a defenseman won this award. I'm sorry, I don't get it. We've been giving it to forwards for the last 40 fucking years. But somehow, defensemen are supposed to play the game at an elite level, stop the opposition, be gentlemanly about it, and when they are, I will no take one the seems to care. Kind sir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Morgan Riley's taken, what, two penalties this year? He's averaging over 20 minutes a night. I don't know. The guy... Uh, I, I don't want to ramble too much my picks here. So that, that's, that's my third pick. Uh, second, Austin Matthews. Uh, the, the, guy, the guy's got one penalty all year. Homer. Uh, plays in a, a very elite level, I'm sorry to, to admit. Um, and uh, he's the nicest guy in the world. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got Patrick Marlowe jerseys under every, everything he wears, and uh, the world loves him. Uh, and, and the guy that I think should win it uh, this year is uh, Alexander Barkov from the Florida Panthers. Okay. A lot of hot takes there. I guess you're Homer. Uh, my number three is Morgan Riley. My number two is Austin Matthews. My number one is Alexander Barkov. Uh, for what it's worth, Trotz did win the PHWA voting. I didn't mention that. Oh, wow. He was their cool. runaway. And uh, uh, Barkov did win the Lady Bling. Nice. So I guess we're two we're for two. We're two for two. We're two for and two. And we didn't know each other's picks going into this. Basically, if we go clean sweep, we are now both members of the PHWA. <sighs> yes. So. A dream. A, yeah, sure. Uh, this could be more of an interesting one. The Frank J. Selke Trophy. Nice. Yes. Okay, so number three for me. Uh, Blake Wheeler. Oh, I should mention, um, because I pulled it up here. The Frank J. Selkie trophy, where'd it go? Uh, to the forward who best excels in the defensive aspects of the game. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, third, Blake Wheeler. Okay. Um, just a monster. He plays a lot of positions, too. That's the thing. It's it's an interesting vote. I will give you this. I don't have the voting in front of me, but I don't remember seeing his name get much love, if any. Okay. So it's an interesting vote. Every time I see him, I I just think he's doing a great job defensively. He's very good. Uh, number two for me, uh, Alexander Barkov from the Florida Panthers. Okay. Great two-way center. I think he's doing good good things there. And, uh, number one for me, because as much as I love Yuri Lettinen, it's about time we get a winger back in the winner's circle. Yes. Mark Stone. There it is. There it is. Knew that was coming. Could have put money on that. That's your favorite Super Bowl prop bet, is how many times James is going to say Stone should win the Selkie per episode. Uh, okay. Well, good for you. Uh, my number three is Patrice Bergeron. Um, obviously wins it every year and possibly is the best defensive play, uh, forward in the league. But okay. I think there are two guys that are having better years sure. defensively and better years overall than okay. he is. Okay. Uh, number two is Alexander Barkov. Nice. Number one is Mark Stone. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Mark Stone, in my opinion, is the best defensive forward in the league. Uh, it, just in terms of the lack of mistakes they make and their ability to pick off plays... It's hard to weight it against the centerman because the centerman has so much more responsibility. I understand that. Like, I get it. It's difficult. Sure. Um, 
And you know what? Most years I don't think there is a winger that should win it, but Stone is having that type of year on a horrendous hockey team. (laughs) Um, For what it's worth, we are not going to the PHWA. Alexander Barkov is the uh, favorite to win. In fact, I don't even know if Mark Stone was in the top three voting. That's pretty fucked. Yeah, so whatever. We would propel him to the top if we could. The Calder Memorial Memorial Trophy, which is uh, for... uh, to the player selected as the most proficient in his first year of competition. Yes. Uh, proficient th- means good. Yeah. Sort of. That's fair. Mostly. Um, number three for me, Carter Hart. That's an interesting... You would have been the uh, the guy who voted Andrew Hammond for, like, second in the Vesna voting that year, eh? Mm, no. <laughs> Maybe. But, okay. Anyway, um, Carter Hart. Yeah, so. yeah, I don't know. Not a great crop of rookies to choose from as far as I'm concerned, and... I think he's done some great things. Look, I think in. Carter Hart's doing some great things, and what I will say is he could be on my end of season ballot, but okay. I don't. You know, yeah, he's fair. only played thirteen, 13 games, games, so yeah. yeah. Uh, number two for me is Rasmus Dahlin, who's doing some amazing things as a nineteen-year-old defenseman. He's NHL. very good. Yeah, he's very good at hockey. Yeah, and I'm wow. very. I'm ex- well. I'm excited in a way. I'm not excited because I'm a Leaf fan. Kind of but nice. I, I am. Ex- yeah, <laughs> kind of excited to see what he's like like next year. Sure, you know, <laughs> like good lord. Yeah, let's win a cup this year so we can yeah. worry about yeah, that yeah, later. We'll worry, <laughs> worry about Darlene next year. And uh, shocker, uh, number one, Elias Pettersson, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, what's he done? Uh, I'm I just think, kidding. I think he's probably you, the Hart Trophy winner at this you, point. If you've turned on sports and there's been a hockey team on TV, you've probably seen an Elias Patterson ha- uh, highlight this year. So, yeah. uh, My number three is Miro Heiskanen, Dallas Stars. My number two is Rasmus Dahlin. My number one is Elias Patterson. And obviously the PHWA WA, uh, voted for uh, Timo Meyer of the. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Elias Patterson, number one. We're doing great with our one twos, eh? Our one twos are bang bang. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know what's going on. It's going to change. We know what's going on. Oh, <laughs> this next one, I might even save this next one because I think there's way more debating to it. Now, nah, nah, let's do it now. The Norris Trophy, which is for <clears throat> to the defenseman who demonstrates the greatest all around ability in the position. Okay, so, so I need to play defense, uh, so you number, can't vote Mark Stone. Number three, number two, number one, I have Jake Muzzin. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, Norris, uh, number three, I have uh, Brent Burns, who is currently leading defenseman in points. Yeah. Uh, number two, I have Morgan Riley, who has dragged Ron Haynes around the ice the entire season while still uh, putting up 50 points. And uh, number one, I have Mark Giordano from the Calgary Flames. Okay. Okay. Um, for what it's worth, too, like, I think when I did research on this award, there's arguably, like, six or seven guys that you could vote for Definitely. where, like, it actually, yeah. like, it is a really it's tough a year. Because, like, I didn't put Shabbat on mine, uh, but he's arguably a guy, you know what I mean? Carlson's coming around. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned Carlson. Uh, my number three is Eric Carlson. Nice. My number two is John Carlson. My number one is Mark Giordano. Um, I don't really think there's any debate about Mark Giordano right now. Um, but yeah. but <laughs> that could change. There's still some time. Uh, and the like. My case in point, the reason it could change really quickly is like Eric Carlson was having the worst season of his career through 25 games. And he is, in my opinion, number three. The only reason he's not number two is because... 
of the first half. Yeah. Um, his possession numbers are amazing. His giveaway takeaway ratio is great. Wow. He's been playing fantastic for San Jose. Um, the one thing I will say about Carlson that Eric, sorry that you know I was kind of wary on was he does play some sheltered minutes because the blue line there is so good. Uh, but overall, his numbers are incredibly impressive this year, uh, both underlying and he's got 43 points through 47 games. Yeah. John Carlson, for the simple fact that he probably does have the best numbers in the league this year, it's just Mark Giordano has more points. Yeah. Uh, Mark Giordano is also playing on a team that plays less of a defensive structure. Um, so Giordano doing what he's doing, like he's very valuable to that team. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned Eric Carlson and his struggles early on, hurting his chances. We could say the same thing about 2014 Mark Giordano, where he was he yeah. was a runaway Norris guy, and then all of a sudden he misses the rest of the season. Yeah. And My prediction, so. I do have a prediction here to kind of twist the knife in the hearts of Calgary Flames fans. I don't think Giordano's going to win the Norris. I have a mm. funny feeling. Interesting. Mostly because he's on the Flames and they... Western bias, eh? They No, they just have a way of getting ripped off on these things somehow. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. I feel well, like something's going to happen there. I'll, uh, I'll concede to your point. I'm, I still think they're going to make the playoffs and do really well. But I just oh, think really? like you think the second place team in the NHL is going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I just I, I, and do really well. Oh, is what I'm saying oh, like oh, they're yeah, that's right. Western Conference Final kind Definitely. of team. But like, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Cool. I see something going on with Giordano. Maybe that's fair. Yeah, that's my crystal ball. All right, uh, the Vesna Trophy, which goes to the I don't know. I'm not going to pull it up. The best goalie. Okay, uh, number three, I got uh, Mark Andre Fleury, Vegas Golden Knights. He's having a pretty decent year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I think this is a two-horse race, and uh, one horse is yeah. a little bit ahead of the other. There we go, final two Former again. teammates, uh, <laughs> number two, Frederick Anderson. Saw that coming. And number one, John Gibson. Yep, same except uh, Robin Leonard instead of uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay. Um, Despite Leonard playing half the games, eh? Yeah, well, Leonard, Leonard missed a lot of time, and then since he's come back, he's played a lot more. Okay. Uh, Grice is not really playing quite as much, but... Um, to me, uh, there are only maybe four goalies in the league that have numbers that yeah, I would like. That's the thing. It's one of those things like if Leonard and Vasilevsky get hurt again, there shouldn't even be three nominees for this award because if fucking Pekka Rene was third in the PHWA voting, yeah, his save percentage is like nine fourteen. He's not having goalies, a good year. Yeah. Flurry's what like nine eleven or something. Like he's not having I a good year. Nine fourteen. So like, yeah, regardless, yeah. like we're not talking. But scoring's way up. Sure, like way yeah. up. So half of it is what it is. Half of my thing for Flurry too has to do with what he did last year. I didn't get the recognition sure. I felt last year. Oh, so you're one of them, man. Whatever. He's, it's a two horse race. Award. Let's stick the guy that did good last year. He's, yeah, he's okay here. No, so. for me, this is runaway John Gibson. I think uh, now I don't think it is quite as much as people make it. Or sorry, um, people don't make it out to be that way. Right. I think me personally, it's not even close. But Frederick Anderson's doing quite impressive work for the Toronto right. Maple Leafs right now. And there's almost um, a heart trophy thing going on too where if the Ducks don't make the playoffs however the PHWA does not vote on the Vesna. It's the other 31 mm-hmm. GMs. Mm-hmm. So there's it's tough to say who, who comes out on top here. True. Uh, for what it's worth the PHWA did vote on this and John Gibson was number one. Fair enough. Flurry was number two. Interesting. And Frederick Anderson was number three which furthers my prediction that no Leaf will ever win a major award again. Unless it's a scoring title. Okay. Uh, but yeah, John Gibson's my guy. Gotcha. Uh, the Hart Trophy. 
Maybe should we save for last. Let's save save for, for last. last. Yeah. All right, the Langway Award, which is <laughs> if you've never heard of it, uh, to the defenseman who best excels in the defensive aspect of the game. So basically, uh, you need to have under thirty points. No, I'm just kidding. I have a guy with with a lot of points on him still. So uh, for me, uh, number three, number two, number one, Jake Muzzin. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, number three, Matthias Ekholm from the National Predators. Okay. Uh, number two, TJ Brody from the Calgary Flames. Okay. And number one, Vic Hedman from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Shea Theodore. Okay. My number two, yeah, he, fuck. No, that's fair. I think Shea Theodore is going to win a Norris one day. Wow. Honestly. Okay. His numbers are unbelievable, underlying. It's just he has 24 points or something like that. Too bad that. the Ducks don't have that in front of John Gibson. <sighs> God. Fuck. Could have got rid of Vatnin. Mm. Uh, well, they did. Mark Giordano is my number two. <laughs> I okay, still think sure. he's been that good. Yeah. Jacob Slavin's my number one. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, he's he's ridiculous. Now, is this a real award, or is it just like a one that the writers make up? Yeah, I don't know. They might send them like a plaque or something. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't I, I've heard of the award. I've just online or on TV kind of thing. Well, because right? this is a this is a PHWA award. It's not okay. um, an NHL PA award. Gotcha. So the NHL doesn't recognize it, but the professional hockey writers do. So. Whatever. I, I think most of them think it's stupid, hmm. but there's probably like Ken fucking Campbell and yeah. like Steve Simmons claiming to it. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? Who? Uh, which, which are two people that vote on these awards? I might add. True. Mark Spector, Damian who, Cox. I think's probably in the who PHWA. Did they give it to? Uh, the real winner is Matthias Ekholm. Oh, which neat. Yeah, I'm fine with whatever. Cool. He's, he's doing pretty good. He's great. Whatever. Leading the league in plus minus. I think that still matters. Whatever. Uh, the comeback player of the year, which is uh, basically the Bill Masterton trophy. Uh, yeah, I was kind of. I had a tough time. I did the Masterton yeah, first. And I forgot about this one. And... I didn't do the Masterton at all. Actually, oh no! But oh, uh, I did. Well, regardless, my vote is run away the same for both, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, your comeback player of the award to the player who returned to a high level of performance that was interrupted by subpar play, long-term injury, or major illness. Interesting. Um, so I, I didn't, I guess I didn't really judge it the same cause I did have the Masterson. So maybe I'll give you my, my comeback. You give me your comeback and I'll just sneak my Masterson at the end there. Sure. Uh, so for my comeback third, I have Gabriel Landeskog. I thought mm. this guy's days of elite scoring were over. Yeah, He's good having a really good season. Never really thought about that. Uh, number two, Zach Parise. Uh, yeah. again, I thought his back was yeah, shot. I, I, I honestly thought his career was over. Yeah. He's doing great this year. Yeah. And number one, another guy that I didn't think would even hold a NHL job this season, uh, Thomas Grace. Hmm. Yeah. You didn't think the three-year deal was going to have him find a net at some point? The three-year deal was inevitable. I just figured that they'd three bury year. him in the in the fucking money. He, he had a 398 GAA last year. I did not oh, yeah, see it was bad. him having an NHL job it was this bad. year. Um, so. nah, I don't know. He was on the roster to start the year. I, I figured he would get an opportunity. He's done good. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's good for him. Uh, number three, Thomas Tatar for me. Um, Tut. In, in fact, it's amazing because he's probably going to have his best season of his career this year. That's fair. Uh, number two is Zach Parise. Nice. Number one is Robin Leonard. Probably the best comeback story I've heard in quite a long time. I mean, you know. That's fair. All, all mentioned to, you know, uh, like, you know, Brian. what Brian Boyle did last year or the year before is, is remarkable. Mm-hmm. But um, Leonard went through some pretty unique stuff to be open about it and... Uh, 
had some pretty big issues last year, and and he is legitimately, I would say, the star player of the New York Islanders this year. So that's fair. Um, yeah. For what's worth, my, my my Masterson three number three. This was tough. Uh, Corey Crawford. Uh, he came back. He's he's gone again. Yeah. It's uh, I couldn't really find a third guy for this list, but okay. I put him there. Number two, Eric Carlson. Everything he went through last year with uh, his, yeah, his wife and one. his baby and everything and from a, from Astrodome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's having good. a good year. Uh, number one, Robin Leonard. So okay, you alluded to it pretty cool, pretty good. Um, so we'll try to keep this under ten minutes if we can. <laughs> the the Hart Trophy. Uh, give me your three, sir. Uh, number three, John Gibson, and I'm Ducks. Number two, Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Lightning. Mm. And number one, Connor McDavid from the Image Oh, I forgot to mention, too, the comeback player of the year PHWA pick was Robin Leonard. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Connor McDavid, number one. So we have the same three, just different order. Okay. Uh, my number three is Nikita Kucherov. My number two is Connor McDavid. My number one is John Gibson. Mm. Now, this is, again, mid-season voting. I am yeah. probably not going to imagine I'm voting either two. Uh, for the final Hart Trophy. Well, maybe Gibson. I think the Oilers are going to end up so far from the fucking playoffs that like, it's not even worth noting. But maybe. Uh, like, I'm not one of those you-have-to-make-the-playoffs type. You can miss the playoffs, but I still think you need to be sort of within a stone's throw. Like, if you finish more than 10 points out, your, your team's kind of garbage. And, I mean, unless you had double the points of everyone else and you're clearly, like, run away. The only reason you're yeah. even a competitive hockey team then sure, you know what I mean, but I don't think that's going to end up being the case with McDavid. I, I think they're either going to finish pretty far out, and Dreisaitl's still having a decent year, or they're going to make the playoffs and maybe ends up on my ballot. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for me, like, like, don't, like, Kucherov's doing unbelievable things. Like, there's only two or three other players on that team that have above 30 points, you know, and for a team that's scoring four goals a game, that's ridiculous, but... I don't know, like, they, they could potentially win games without him, you know what I mean? Like, right. for me, the Oilers He's... don't stand a chance without McDavid. Yeah. The Ducks, it is scary to think where that team would be without John Gibson. Now, I will argue if they fire Randy Carlisle, maybe Gibson also doesn't get that vote for me. Because uh, I feel like he, you know what I mean, he's having to do way more work than he probably should, considering the team that's in front of him. Um but they also might miss the playoffs by a lot of points. Who's to say? So yeah. it's hard to say, really. But right now, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I don't like Kucherov. He's having one of those elite seasons. Like he's he's one of like you go back twenty. He's swinging a hot bat. You, you might could say, say that. Uh, you go back twenty five years in NHL. Like he's, I think he's having the fourth best season for a winger uh, in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Which you're not wrong. Like they they got a couple guys there where yeah they probably win a few games without him, but. And I don't want to get too ridiculous with my comparisons here or anything like that, but you, you, you take Wayne Gretzky out of those Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was, I was, I was expecting to be like, "How do you dare compare him to Yarmer Yager?" Yeah, I'm like, well, okay. "Okay, we're getting really fucking excited <laughs> well, here." No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to go to the top of the pinnacle here. The guy won like what eight heart trophies in a row, but you take him off the roster. Okay, maybe you're not winning cups every year, but. You still got Mass, you still got Paul, you still got, you know, Furinet, you, you got Curry, like, you're a good team. You're just maybe not as good as you are with that guy, and I think that's the case with Tampa Bay. I, mm-hmm. I think you take Kucherov out of that locker room, I don't know if they're winning a division. I don't, you know, they're definitely not winning the conference. Uh, I don't know, I, they're a playoff team, sure, but are they looking at, like, 5th, 6th, 7th, as opposed to 1st, hands down? 
this is a President's Trophy team, and I think Nikita Kucherov has a lot to do with it. That being said, Karmic David is number one on my list. <laughs> the Oilers are in absolute shambles. <laughs> and you okay over there? <laughs> he yeah. is a self-driving car in a highway full of 93 Toyota Corollas. Uh, that he's team, a self-driving car? Yeah. So he's the disaster. No, 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 no. He's, oh. he's doing amazing things. He's incompetent. In a world of 93 Corollas. A fucking, the gold medal game from the World Juniors is on TV right now. It's a slow night. Huh. Anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, I, John Gibson, he's valuable to his team in a way that only a goalie can be. However, I think the biggest knock against him is you, you go back and you look at the last two guys to win Vesna's in that position his numbers just aren't quite there. Um, you can make the argument that a couple more goalies should have won over the last, you know, 40 years, uh, but the numbers really have to be exemplary. Like yeah. We're talking high 920s, and he's at 919 right now. It's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He could get it done, but... What I will argue, because I'm a heat map connoisseur, is John Gibson's like a 945 kind of equivalent of what's going on right now, is like he is stopping 30 high-danger opportunities a night, where like Anderson stops like 18, and he's like next highest kind of thing, like Holtby stops like 10 a night. Like he he is literally just stopping shots from 10 feet in. Sure. Like 20 shots a period type bullshit. You know what I mean? Like I'm just sort of inflating, but I get the the number comparison. Like he's not what we've seen in the past, but the NHL isn't what we've seen in the last 20 years, really. Like, scoring sure. is at its highest that it's been in a long time. Yeah, so, I think um, the, only, the only problem with that kind of number comparison is, like, <laughs> that's what you're trying to avoid in the NHL, is, is giving up those high-danger chances and, and Gibson stopping them. And I, I, it's hard to say, like, would Anderson not stop them? Yeah. You know, like, if he faces the same type I, of I, chances, I guess, maybe but, he's but, the same goalie, right? But basically so, the argument here is that John Gibson's the only reason that the Ducks are in the sure. Stones throw. Oh, definitely. That, that to me oh, puts him as yeah. the most valuable player to a team that's a playoff team. I so, agree. Yeah. So on, technically, yeah. they're in the playoffs. So we'll call them a playoff team. Um, okay, well, I think I think that's about it for the um, for the hockey portion of it. Now, what I wanted to do with you quickly here, as you know, it is uh, February 1st when you're listening to this or whatever. Part of... The American pastime, which is football, not baseball, is to bet on this event. And a lot of people make a lot of money every year. We talked to Aaron Petcha, who wins millions of dollars betting. No, I'm just kidding. But he wins, you know, thousand bracket plural Dollars. dollar bet gambling a year. And uh, so what I would thought I would do is we would place our bets on the game. Now... I, now, I know you're not a huge football fan. That's true. So instead of placing regular bets on the game, you know what I mean, who's going to win, who's going to score the most touchdowns, all that kind of stuff, we're going to place some prop bets. Okay. And what uh, Americans, I don't know if you're even aware of this, Americans like to bet on some of the things that happen outside of the game, but at the game. Uh, so not actual events that happen on the scorecard, but maybe stuff that will happen so like the, through the course the of the coin game. flip. So the first bet I'm going to ask you, James, uh, over or under the national anthem takes uh, 105 seconds, which is a minute 45. I, I don't even know how long that song is <laughs> in general. It's it should be done in less than that. Oh wow, okay. Like a minute and 20 is reasonable. Huh. 
Maybe even less. Then I, I guess I'll go under 145. You're going to go under? Sure. Now, it's worth noting Gladys Knight's singing the anthem. <laughs> um, you gonna you gonna write it down? You gotta... Yeah, I'm I'm gonna stick with 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 under. Okay, I'm gonna go over. <laughs> All right. Okay. Is there a scoring drive through the course of the game that takes less than the national anthem? So does one of the teams trot down the field in like a minute and thirty if that's what the anthem takes? Okay, so I'm I'm saying it's gonna be less than a minute forty five. Uh, okay, so uh, sorry, are you talking like a minute forty-five ish of clock time? clock time? Clock time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. You think the the they score? You think like Brandon Cooks breaks loose for like an eighty-yard TD for the Rams or some yeah. shit like that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm yeah. Fuck it. I'll say yes. I'll say there'll be a big play. Uh, mostly what I'm thinking is going to happen is the Patriots are going to be trailing with like 47 seconds left and Tom's just going to march the fucking ball down the field like a boss, but... That's fair. Yeah. Uh, player to take a knee during the anthem, yes or no? I, I, that's tough. I, I think maybe someone <laughs> does, but I don't know if it gets on TV. Oh, but we'll hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they, yeah. There's yeah. like 80,000 people at the game. Sure. All of them have phones. We'll, we'll let's, find out. Let's take a knee. Okay. I'm also going to say yes. I don't have a prediction on who it is. The next bet is who's going to take... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> expect you to know. I know, Tom Brady. <laughs> 106 players taking part in that game. Uh, which player will be shown first during the National Anthem? Tom Brady or Jared Goff? Brady. I take Tom Brady as well. Which coach will be shown first during the Anthem? Bill Belichick or Sean McVay? McVay. I am also going to take McVay. Uh, who will win the coin toss? The Patriots or the Rams? Rams. And do they take heads or tails? Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm going to vote the the Patriots win the coin toss. You're taking Pats win the coin toss. And you want to know if it's heads or tails. Um, you know what? The Ram logo is a big head, so I'm, I'm going to go heads. Okay. Tails never fail, boy, so I'm taking okay. uh, tails. Coin toss winning team ends up winning the game. Yes or no? Well, I took the Rams to take the head to the coin toss, so I'm going to say no. Okay. I took the Patriots to win the coin toss, so I'm going to say they win the game. Mm. I'm going to say yes. All right. Your Super Bowl halftime show. What is the first song that Maroon 5 plays? Now, we've got some odds here. I'm going to I'm gonna wait it for you so that way you know. Uh, Makes Me Wonder leads the odds 3-1. to one. Uh, We've got One More Night at 4-1. to one. Sugars at 6-1. to one. Animals at 7-1. to one. Girls Like You at 7-1, to one, which is their new song. Is that the one with Cardi B? I think that's the one, yeah. Uh, Moves Like Jagger at 7-1. to one. Don't wanna know, which I'm not familiar with. Eight to one, must be new. Don't wanna know. Payphone. No, no, no. Oh, is that that one? Oh, that's. They're not gonna open with that. Payphone is number eleven. Uh, uh, sorry, it's number eleven. Payphone is eleven to one. Maps is sixteen to one. She will be loved is sixteen to one, and this love is sixteen to one. That's all I've got for your odds. So are you gonna go off the board, or are you gonna take one of those? Um, I'm gonna go one more night. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. That was kind of... It's sort of what I'm thinking. 
I'm going to go with Makes Me Wonder, actually. I just, I got a feeling about that. Um, now, as you may know, Big Boy and Travis Scott are joining Maroon 5 for the performance at some point. Uh, Big Boy from Outcast and Travis Scott from I Don't Know Who That Is. Does Andre 3000 join Big Boy and Maroon 5 and Travis Barker or whatever on stage during the performance? No. I'm going to say yes. Uh, in game, we've got three here, and then we're then we're pretty much done. This is the only bet that actually has anything to do with the game, but even it's kind of obscured. Does one of the teams throw a flea flicker? <laughs> You're gonna have to explain that one. Oh, me. so a flea, a flea flicker is where um, the quarterback hands the ball off to the running back, makes it pretend that he's gonna run or run like do a running play. And then the running back throws it back to the quarterback, and the quarterback then throws it upfield, and it's actually a passing play. Uh-huh. So or that, there's, there's that other happened, ways to do it. That happened last even, year, but, didn't it? Uh, the Patriots are one of the only teams that do flea flickers. They might have done it during the game. No, it was... Um, the Philly special's a bit different. Oh, is it? A little different. Because okay. the quarterback runs up. It's I, I guess you could clarify, classify it as a flea flicker. I remember, I remember the the guy that wasn't the quarterback threw the ball okay. into the end zone for the Phillies. Anyway, but um, the Patriots do it quite a bit. I'll say no. I'm gonna say yes. Patriots are gonna try to pull one off in the fucking Super Bowl of Tom Brady's 41 year old year. Will they mention the age gap between Bill Belichick and Sean McVay? <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna say down. I'm gonna say yes, and then the other one that I think is an absolute slam dunk, yes. But I'll see if maybe you wanna, you know, you know, roll the dice, roll the dice here. Are they going to show the Saints Rams pass interference? <laughs> I'm gonna say yes for what it's worth. Um, you know what? I'm gonna say the NFL is gonna nix it and they're gonna tell them specifically not to show it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Goodell's evil. Yeah. My girlfriend just texted me. What's what's the the spicy sauce smell tray that made you and Abby cry? I'm like, I don't know. I can't remember the name of it. She's like, is it the one with the spicy Mexican lady on the front? First off. You're no. going to need to be more specific. <laughs> no. Um, okay, top, top ten. Oh, yeah. Top ten. Top ten? Top ten. Uh, as, as advertised, we are doing the... T- well, first, it's Oscar season. Oscars. Oscar the Grouch. Oh, yeah. Scottish? I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. I, don't, I don't know what the hell that was supposed to be. But anyway, um, so yeah, we're doing the top ten. Movies to get nominated for Best Picture that didn't win in its particular year. Now, the ideal criteria here is that we're just looking for the ten best movies that got nominated for Best Picture that ended up, ended up losing Best Picture. Um, but... If you feel that maybe there was a year where the winner was so bad that you think, you know what I mean, another movie's so much better because of, like, a relative thing, then whatever, you know what I mean? It, it is what it is. So, um, vote for whoever the hell you want for whatever reason, I guess. I don't know. Okay. J- Jimmy, number 10. Uh, number 10 for me, uh, from 2017, The Darkest Hour. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it okay. was it was nominated. It did not win. It lost out to The Shape of Water. The fish fucking movie. Yeah. The li- fucking fish movie. Literally any other film could have won that year. Uh, but, no. Uh, yeah, so that's it for me. 
Uh, more of a, a solo performance that really, I think, was better than maybe the film was overall. But I like the film. So. To give you a little teaser, and, and, you know, I guess you didn't know this either. Uh, I was thinking about doing the best performances by an actor or an actress in a in a in a role sure and uh definitely agree with you gary oldman delivering one of the best performances of all time as winston churchill wasn't a big fan of the movie but well i mean like i, yeah, I was right, you yeah, know what i mean yeah. like it wasn't sure outstanding to me i would have sooner voted for it than the shape of water um, I'm going to give an honorable mention, and then I'll give my number 10. I almost put the color purple on here uh, from 1985, but then I realized I only put it on here because Out of Africa is a awful goddamn movie and a terrible book, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I didn't vote movie, for it, but yeah, yeah, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, phenomenal. Right. She ended up winning Best Actress, yeah. I believe. So, yeah. um, But my number 10 is A Few Good Men from 1992. Now, Unforgiven One, which is possibly the superior movie sure um but uh, a few good men has given us you know one of the more quotable scenes of all time in the you can't handle the truth exchange between tom cruise and jack nicholson now what a lot of people and kids don't understand out there is there was a time where tom cruise was one of the best actors on the planet and jack nicholson was one of the best actors on the planet and neither of them are really in that conversation anymore. But there was a time where the two of them were unbelievable. And the two forces to come together, it's it's like... It's like... Crosby vs. Ovechkin. Sure, I was going to think of maybe a movie sort of comparison. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hockey podcast, like an, uh, Bruce, like so a, you got to keep it relevant. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like Meryl Streep arguing with like Christian Bale or something. You know what I mean? Or like Leo DiCaprio. It'd be like an unbelievable sort of forces come together. Richard versus Howe. Sure. Okay. What's your number nine? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, number nine for me. Uh, what year is this from? Uh, <laughs> I forgot to write the years down. It's okay. Uh, Fences is the movie. Okay. That's from 2014. 2014? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait. No, maybe I'm wrong. I think no, that's newer. I don't, I don't see it. 2016, maybe. Uh, no? Uh, 2017? I don't know. It's fairly new. Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty new. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Denzel Washington, guy just you know has a crumbling career. He tried to be a baseball player, didn't work out, and the whole thing takes place in the guy's backyard for the most part. And yeah. it's, it's fantastic. Whether or not you know, it is based on a play, which I found out later, which makes sense why it's all sort of just takes place at their house hmm. um, to limit the changing of scenery. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, un- unbelievable acting in that movie. Oh, that is one of the best. Know. Yeah, like one of the best again. Force meet force. Viola Davis versus yeah. Denzel Washington just yelling at each other for two hours. Viola it's, Desmond, it, oh Denzel God, Washington. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Viola Desmond from the ten dollar bill. <laughs> um, my my number nine is uh, the Big Short from twenty fifteen. Uh, Spotlight ended up winning. The Big Short for those of you who don't remember Steve Carell, Christian Bale. Uh, who am I missing? Brad Pitt. There's probably another big fish in there. Ryan Reynolds? No, it wasn't Ryan Reynolds, uh, but it was... Yeah, I know what you mean. It was anyway. something like that. No, it wasn't Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is in that. Ryan or no, Gosling. Ryan Gosling, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah, that's who I meant. I'm picturing Ryan Gosling, but I said Ryan Reynolds. Uh, great movie. I didn't care for that one. No. No. I, I think that was one of the more creative movies I've seen in the last, uh, well, ever, I guess. Um, yeah, I thought it was really well done. The way they utilize the... Um, 
you know, bringing in a, an actor to play themselves to explain the complication of the of the plot I thought was neat. Margot was Robbie's funny. in her yeah. bathtub. Selena Gomez is playing poker. You know, Anthony Bourdain's talking about re-selling old fish. Like, I think it's... I thought that was unbelievable. Yeah. They had a lot of great tropes that they do use in Vice because it's the same writer and director, but they don't quite pull it off in Vice. But, yeah, right. big short. Gotcha. That's fair. Uh, number eight for me. Again, I'm going searching for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 2013's Dallas Buyers Club. Okay. Big fan of that film. But he won uh, actor, didn't he? Uh, fucking hell's his name? Yeah. Matthew McConaughey? No, McConaughey, yeah. Jared Leto also won, so that's why I wasn't sure if you were... <laughs> oh, if fuck. You, which right. one you yeah, were talking yeah, about, right. but... Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, great performances all around, uh, despite me not remembering anyone's name. Um, I thought the film was explored a subject that I think a lot of people don't want to talk about. Um, you know, took a little behind the scenes look at the AIDS epidemic that was uh, taking hold of the world in the you know late 80s, early 90s, and the lengths that some people were willing to go to to uh, not only hide it, but uh, try to cure themselves from it. And uh, it was an emotional film, and I wasn't expecting something that powerful when I sat down to watch it for the first time. 2013, 12 Years of Slave 1, for what it's worth. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, good good movie. Great acting. I, I, I wasn't crazy about the movie, but... Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, my number eight, which I, I would think people are probably going to argue that it should be higher. I definitely know there is one listener of the... Casual listener of the podcast that uh, is going to feel pretty strongly about this only being number eight, but uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel is number eight for me. Hmm. Uh, it was nominated in 2014. Birdman won. Now, I'm going to mention this because it's not my only movie from 2014, but Birdman deserved to win that year for sure because Birdman is one of the best movies I've personally ever seen, in my opinion. But uh, Grand Budapest Hotel was... I think it's easily Wes Anderson's crowning achievement. I think it's the best movie he's ever done. It takes a lot of his themes and tropes and his style and really sort of honed in on it and and made it you know it's like a greatest hits of his movies to me uh the cast is unbelievable the acting's great the script is hilarious the script is dramatic um it's a very quirky kind of movie but i thought it was incredibly well done and it is uh very rewatchable for me so i i think yeah number eight grand bus hotel uh number seven for me you've already mentioned it a few good men nice just okay one of those ones where, like, I never really thought about to mention it. Demi, Demi Moore is in that. That's true. Which, uh, kids, yeah. uh, she used to be married to Ashton Kutcher mm. from that 70s show. Before well, that, used to be she was married that. to Bruce Willis. Yes, who's yes. from Glass. Right. Which might be the movie that you millennials would know him from at yes. this point. He used to be an actor, but now he's in Glass. Right. Yeah, no, A Few Good Men. I've never really considered it to be, like, you know what I mean, like a best picture and then... We were doing this list, and I'm, I'm going back, I'm looking at it, I'm like... Yeah, me too. Holy shit, like, yeah, that's, me that's too. a really good it's film. It's one of those and... movies, like, even if, even if you found out it wasn't nominated, it, it, you might kind of just pass it by. Yeah. A, because it's so much older. B, I also grew up with the story of, like, my mom and dad going to see it. Like, it was the first time they went out of the house after I was born. Nice. And then they went to see that movie, and they fell asleep, like, 20 minutes into the movie. Okay. So, like, I grew up thinking that it was a boring, terrible movie, but as I grew older and watched it a bunch of times, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you put a movie with Jack Nicholson in it on your list. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. Yeah, 
yeah, we got to do actors that we hate that other people don't one day because that's that's gonna be a good one. Uh, my number seven, and I rewatched it today, and I think this might be the movie on my list that is uh, perhaps argued. If anyone were to argue, but no one's gonna argue. But in my opinion, I I, in my opinion, The Descendants. Uh, I rewatched it today, and it is one of the most like just gripping films I've ever seen. It's hilarious. Um, from 2011, The Artist won. Now, what I'm going to say about The Artist, The Artist deserved to win. The Artist is a very unique film. What I will say about The Descendants, I thought it got ripped off hard at the Oscars. Um, George Clooney, in my opinion, should have won Best Actor. Shailene Woodley should have won Best Supporting Actress. She didn't get nominated. Uh, she won the Golden Globe. She was nominated for maybe 14 or 15 other major awards. For some reason, she got snubbed at the Oscars. I don't really understand that. And to me, it should have won Best Picture. It won a Best Adapted Screenplay, one of the five that it was nominated for. Uh, to me, if you've never seen The Descendants and you're a fan of George Clooney and sort of quirky, funny movies, uh, 100% I would watch it if I were you. You've never seen it? I have not. Alexander Payne it. directed it. Uh, great director. He also directed Nebraska that was nominated a couple years later. Um yeah, do yourself a favor, sit was, down. Was there a it's an easy watch film that was like a horror film with the same name? Because I always thought might, that, I always thought the Descendants was maybe. a horror film, and that's why I never. There might huh. be like instead of the Descendants, it's like the Descendants, like E N C E. Sure, I don't know, but yeah, it's it's a great movie. Again, if you've never seen it, do yourself a favor. It's uh, it, it's it's dark, but it's dark in a funny way. It's it's got its moments, but it's it's. Some of the best acting I've I've seen in a long time. It's great. Shale, Shailene Woodley makes me want to cry in a couple of the scenes. It's mm. it's tough, but it's a good movie. Right on. Well, for what I can only assume is the first of many trips that we're going to take, we're going to go back to 1994 <laughs> uh, for my number six nice. film. Nice. Uh, a little film by Quentin Tarantino called Ooh. Pulp Fiction. Nice. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he really... Uh, Flipped the script on its head, so to speak. Uh, it really changed up what most people would consider your n- normal narrative uh, structure. Chopped yeah. it all up, put it in a blender, said, this is fine. That <laughs> People that, will understand. There was no movie prior to this movie nominated for Best Picture that was even remotely close to that. No. Like, nothing even close. No. Uh, broke the mold and, and really changed filmmaking, for sure. Yeah, another thing for me, too, is is, is the depth of acting in this film. Now, oh. I will say this much, like, a, a few more ladies would have been nice in the film. You know, there's not a lot yeah. of, like, female presence. Yeah. But... And you know what? That, that is arguably one of the knocks on Tarantino. Yeah. Because he's done a better job over it over the years. I mean, Inglorious Bastards, uh, you know... Jackie Brown is literally about a, a you know, uh, independent black woman played by Pam Greer, but right, you know, yeah, no, but like, even like to sit here and and discuss, like you could have a full on debate about whether Bruce Willis, John Travolta, or Sam Jackson is the lead in this film. Mm-hmm. Like each of them have like phenomenal, memorable moments. You know, you know, one of the spoiler alert, one of those guys gets killed off, but you know, for the most part, they all have relatively the same screen time. I don't know. I, I think it's it's one of those films that really takes advantage of, of the best of the actors that are in it, and the result is phenomenal. Yeah. Worth noting, you're going to hear from that movie later, because oh, I'm sure I've mentioned hey, on the podcast hey, hey. that that is my, probably my favorite movie. Pans but. over to Pulp Fiction post yeah. on the wall. <laughs> that we stare at every week. Uh, my number six is Boyhood. Uh, never before 
has a movie for the first time I watched it blown me away as Boyhood did. The movie absolutely blew me, blew me away. The fact that these people could shoot this script over the course of 13 years and maintain consistency within the acting the way they did. Like, Patricia Arquette won Best Actress. She deserved it. Ethan Hawke was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. actor. Uh, he's ridiculous in the movie. He's fantastic. Um, it is one of the best coming-of-age, if not the best coming-of-age movie I've ever seen. And, uh, again, Birdman won. Birdman deserved to win, but I went into that night thinking Boyhood was going to win Best Picture. And I'm happy Birdman won, because I prefer Birdman as a movie. I'm a huge Birdman fan. But I'm going to mention Birdman man. time and time again, Birdman man. I'm a big Birdman man. Dude. Birdman dude. Fair enough. Yeah. You? <laughs> okay. Okay. Not sure I'm a Birdman man. Birdman but... man? No. Okay. What do you got, bro? Uh, okay. So we're <laughs> into my top five. Sure. Uh, fifth for me from 1998, Saving Private Ryan. Fair. Yeah, I don't like. I don't know if there ever will be a war movie ever made that tops Saving Private Ryan. And it's a niche genre, perhaps, and maybe not everyone can get behind a war film. But let's put it this way: Steven Spielberg went out and uh, found real life amputees to uh, have their limbs blown off on screen just for the sake of pizzazz. <laughs> and then you get Tom Hanks on top of that. So, uh, I don't know. I, I thought were it you, was... <laughs> were you with us, that guy we went to cricket, or we, that time we went to crickets and we saw that guy who had been in The Revenant? And he was like, oh. uh, he, he was an amputee, and he talked about how, like, he only got that role because, like, they could just, like, cut his leg off and have him lay in a bunch of fucking mud, and how he's been in, like, 11 movies, and it's every, <laughs> every movie he's in, he's just lying in the mud, dying, and it's like, yeah, so I met Leonardo DiCaprio, and I can't talk about it, because I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but yeah, I met him. And then just stares at us, he's like, that's literally all I can say, otherwise he'll sue me for all the money I don't have. Like, I can't I can't say anything else. I, I, can't, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was great. I can't say I was there for that one. Yeah. Sounds hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Saving Private Ryan. I've lost to Shakespeare in Love. I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a little bitter that that was one of the great ups. <laughs> I, I look at the list of, like, nominees for that year, like, even if it would have lost to anything else, I think I would have been okay with, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Not a great... Not a good film. I didn't love Shakespeare in Love, but I do like Shakespeare, so I think I maybe liked it a bit more than I thought I would. But maybe. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. My yeah. number five is Good Will Hunting. Uh, lost yeah. to Titanic, which is another fair win. Yeah. Titanic is a masterpiece as much as it is also just a blockbuster hit. But um, Wait, does the boat sink in that one? In Good Will Hunting? No. There is no boat. Uh <laughs> In uh, in Goodwill Hunting, I'm sure you've seen it, but if you people have not seen it, you should do yourself a favor. Uh, Robin Williams is a great supporting actor in it. Um, it's the breakout performance of Matt Damon. It's the breakout performance of Ben Affleck. They both wrote the movie. A couple of Boston boys. Yeah. Um, what I will say is Minnie Driver gives one of the most gripping performances I've ever seen in my life uh, as, as Matt Damon's love interest in the movie. And she is basically an unknown actress at the time, but she is phenomenal in the movie. So, uh, yeah. It's just, uh, it's an easy watchable movie. Like, it's not super complicated or, you know, boring or anything like that. It's yeah. it's, it's for the everyman, but it's a great script and, and it's just a very rewatchable, lovable movie. That's fair. Yeah. It's a very enjoyable film. Yeah. Uh, number four for me. And uh, I don't care who says what. I'm going to stand by the fact that I think this was a 
a uh, massive conspiracy to uh, uh, not allow it to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brokeback Mountain, 2005. Yeah, it it was a late cut for me. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Okay. Continues that. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe uh, maybe the Oscars weren't ready for uh, an all gay uh, plotted film, but that that is a monumental piece of work as far as I'm concerned. Um, Heath Ledger and uh, yeah, his name's escaping me right now. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal performances. Um, hard to say, you know, like who was you know, one was better than the other. You know, I think the movie has to work with. It almost like it's almost a dance at that point. It's two people relying on each other to uh, pull everything together. Yeah, groundbreaking in a sense, and one of one of the more emotional endings to a film that I can remember, anyway, um, in the last well, like twenty years. So mm-hmm. yeah, number four. Yeah, I I I didn't. I don't think it's like a masterpiece or anything. I think it's a pretty good movie, mm-hmm. and it deserves the best picture nominee. Arguably does deserve to win, too, because I think Crash might be one of the worst movies to ever win Best Picture, or at least of the of the winners that I've ever seen. I would say out of Africa's worst. After that, it's... it's uh, Shape of Water? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. fucking for sure. But, yeah, Cra- Crash is terrible. Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think Brokeback Mountain should have won that year. I don't know that it would have won the year before or the year after, so it kind of was like, you know, 2004 Million Dollar Baby won, 2006 The Departed won. So, sure. you know, like, yeah. it, it, it kind of had an opportunity, and yeah, unfortunately, for some fucking reason, it didn't win, I, I don't know, but, yeah, okay, that's a fair pick, it's it's a good movie, and you know what's funny about that, too, is we talk about, even, like, it's 2005, and maybe the yeah. Oscars aren't, aren't ready, ready for, like, for a it. gay, yeah. and, like, 10, 11 years later, Moonlight, a predominantly black cast about, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, homosexual relations, and yeah. it's... It, it, it was a runaway like favorite to win that year you know yeah definitely but yeah it's funny how far we've come and yet still not even had like we still got so much further to go you know mm-hmm. but uh what was that number four yeah that was number four number my number four. four is pulp fiction hmm. okay heard of that I, I love it i'm just willing to admit the other three movies are better movies oh that's fair yeah, yeah. like I, I i i have three movies that i think are three of the greatest movies of all time there so, you go. Uh, and i do think pulp fiction is like if I were to make a top one hundred, it's on the list for sure. It's sure. pretty high, but sure. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Either three are better. Yeah, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you win. Some yeah. Sometimes you lose. Yeah. That time you lost. For what it's worth, we didn't even mention um, nineteen ninety four Forrest Gump one, which I have larger issues with. But that's uh, yeah. an argument for that's another fine. podcast. That's dead, baby. Yep, that is dead. What's your number three there, brother? Uh, number three is uh, this is a tough one. Uh, I definitely agree. It's. It's on the list. I definitely agree. It's one of the greatest films ever made. My favorite film won that year, however, so I'm not really complaining that this one didn't. Uh, from 2007, oh. There Will Be Blood. I thought you were about to argue that Forrest Gump was one of your favorite movies <laughs> ever. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, uh, uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, again, uh, another uh, Oscar performance in which he uh, wins uh, lead actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, a, a, a I weird drink your milkshake yeah <laughs> i drink it up a, a weird story like I, I'll, I'll say that much it's it's kind of a weird story a good story great story phenomenal film it um, it's hard to explain to someone yeah. though like you know what i mean my girlfriend asked me oh what's it about and i said uh, an oil tycoon an oil, an oil guy 
And there's some religious stuff. Like, you gotta watch it. <laughs> At the end of the day, you just gotta watch I've it. I've seen that movie six times, probably. I'm just realizing now I wouldn't know how to explain that to someone. Yeah. I have, I have to watch it again before the February the, 18th bonus episode. The best part, too, is that she says, Oh, well, like, what did it lose to? And I said, No Country for Old Men. She says, What's that about? A guy finds some money? Guy, Guy's good at coin tosses. <laughs> <laughs> Guy so, knows how to flip a coin real good. Let's so either move on, I'm lady. really bad at explaining <laughs> film plots, or I don't yeah. know. That was a tough one. Okay, loved it. I think it's going to go down as one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Didn't win. Yeah. I'm okay with it not winning that year. That's but, fair. Yeah. Okay. My number three is Apocalypse Now, which I will argue is the greatest war movie ever made. Um, hmm. It is probably one of the best cinematic movies ever made, and uh, it was made in 1978. So, for it to still hold up as one of the most brilliant cinematography performances I've ever seen, uh, that's saying something. For those of you who are not familiar with it, because it did come out in 1978, or was at the 1979 Oscars anyway, um, it was directed by Francis Coppola, who is one of the biggest name directors of all time. It stars Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Albert Hall, Florence Fishburne, Dennis Hopper, uh, Frederick Forrest, who I'm not all that familiar with, but what I will say... Like, it, it even features one of my favorite acting moments of all time in which Martin Sheen was very open on the DVD commentary that he showed up drunk for the scene where he was supposed to be drunk. Like, absolute blackout, doesn't remember filming the scene. It's one of the scene or one of the movie's, like, most iconic scenes from the whole thing. He doesn't remember filming it. Right. Probably the best scene of his career. It's essentially the Paul Cree overtime goal of the cinematic world. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but at least Martin Sheen chose not to remember the scene. But yeah, um, Kramer vs. Kramer 1. I would argue Apocalypse Now is the better movie. Kramer vs. Kramer is a good movie. There's but, no, there's uh, another one that you're... Oh, maybe not. Never mind. You good? Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, uh, number three for me, for sure. Great, great film. And, and honestly, if you're into war movies, do yourself a favor. It's like four hours long, but it's great. That's, that's a journey. <laughs> I'm going to look how long it is while you talk. But um, So, a little caveat here. Uh, we should, probably should have mentioned this at the top of Oh, yeah, I was just list. thinking about how I forgot about that. You can preface <clears throat> this because I know exactly what you're about to argue right now. Yeah, uh, so uh, we agreed uh, prior to making our lists that we wouldn't go back past, like, I don't know, 1983 or something like it that. It was of the last 40 years, which 40? Uh, okay. actually Apocalypse Now just meets the requirement because that movie's 40 years old this ah, year. Okay, so... <laughs> We wouldn't go back that far, and we agreed to it, and I was making my list, and it, it, something dawned on me, and there was there was a big snub, probably the biggest in the history of the Oscars, I'll, I'll go that far to say, um, and, and I felt compelled to include this movie on my list. It's from 1941, so if you haven't seen it... How, how dare you <laughs> not honor E.T. the Extraterrestrial losing in 1982? How dare you? How dare you, sir? If uh, if you haven't seen this particular 1941 film, I won't hold it against you. Um, Citizen Kane did not win the Oscar for Best Picture in 1941. Sorry, and, and I'm, I'm, gonna, just, I'm laughing at E.T., not your pick. I'm, I'm going to tell you why <laughs> it didn't win. Um, everyone in Hollywood didn't like Orson Welles. I'm not saying that, like... That they were wrong? They didn't like him, and they took it out on maybe one of the greatest films ever made. Mm -hmm. There's some debate, and I get it, and, and, and I will hear your debate, but 
probably in the top ten. Well, I don't have a debate. It just ever, wasn't ever. in our. It just no, wasn't not, in not, our year requirement. Not not you necessarily. Yeah. Just in general, you might not agree, yeah. but I think it's one of the ten I mean, greatest I, films. I actually made. like. I I didn't love it, but I also don't watch movies that are that old. Yeah, often. exactly. You have to like, think of it in the context of when it was made. prior to like 1960, and... I'm going to say I've seen like beginning to finish maybe like 15 movies. Sure. Like I just have no interest in watching oh, a film. I can appreciate its existence. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. I've seen that. Nice. Every time a bell rings. Uh, that's Miracle on 34th oh. Street. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I just, for what it did at the time, I think it, it, it doesn't get enough due today. <laughs> and... Yeah, essentially, the whole Oscar people got together and said, we're not voting for it. The Academy, James. Yeah, it's the people. <laughs> <laughs> they got together, and they said, we're not going to vote Oscar for it. people. And it's not going to win. And I think it's uh, a, a shame, a uh, black mark on the history of, of the award. So Okay. Boom. Um, speaking of uh, black marks, I'm going to take you all the way to 2007, a movie about an oil tycoon and religious stuff my number two is there will be blood um this is a really interesting one because i do agree with you this likely is one of the best movies ever made i mean i would argue it's the second best movie not to win best picture i wonder if no country for old men sits number two on my list if it loses though like, that must have been an incredibly close vote. And what I will say that I sort of find fascinating about it is, like, those two movies for sure would have been at the top of the voting that year, correct? You you can agree with me there? Oh, yes. Like, those are the closest things to horror movies that we've seen to winning that award since Silence of the Lambs. Two of them almost won that year. Mm-hmm. Like, No Country for Old Men, maybe not so much. There Will Be Blood is very much done in the style of a horror movie, even though it's not, like, a... You know, there's no demons jumping out of chair or anything like that. You know there's what I mean? Some oil. All the demons are in the guy's head. But, <laughs> but yeah, like, it, it, it's very much, like, scored. The music's like a horror movie. Like, it's just, it's very horrifying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, it's interesting to think where No Country for Old Men would sit, is all I, is That's all I wonder. But, yeah. Yeah. Number so, one, I, I think I'm we've got going to imagine we're dead agreeing here. here. Yeah, I'm going to imagine. Uh, My number one is from 1994, uh, Quiz Show. No, I'm just... <laughs> uh, Quiz Show. Four weddings and a funeral. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even that's a good movie. But yeah, uh, Shawshank Redemption, I would argue, is probably the best movie ever made. And I would argue that that is the biggest Oscar Best Picture snub of all time. And I do believe it deserved to win that year. And that's one of the few I can definitively say for sure. I think it's hands down a better movie than Forrest Gump. Do you, um, do you think maybe it lost, and this is probably my theory, is that there was almost like a trifecta of films that year. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that maybe like Pulp Fiction and Shawshank almost cost each other some votes and then Forrest kind of ended up on top in that regard? I, I do wonder, I mean like... I don't know, like, Forrest Gump got, it was very well received when it came out. It right, did, it I'm really not saying well it, wasn't, the box it wasn't office, bad, it just, like, do you think yeah. the other two kind of held each other back? I don't know, and then, you know what, we'll probably never know, because yeah. these are very confidential people we're talking about, right. the, the you know, the Oscar people. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Oh, I forgot to make my Moonlight joke. You had a Moonlight joke? Yeah, I was going to leave Moonlight for number one. Just so oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it didn't actually win. Yeah. Um, Shawshank, yeah. The yeah. uh, same director. I mean, he, he's got another really well-known credit, uh, having done uh, The Green Mile in 1999. Um, Frank Darabont. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, I don't love The Green Mile, but... Yeah, so, anyway. Number one. Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption. You haven't seen so, it? Fuck off. If you haven't seen it, first off, it's on Netflix, so you have no excuse to not watch it in the next couple of weeks, but secondly, it, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic film, and just... Tim Robbins is absolutely brilliant in that movie. Arguably the best performance of his career. Morgan Freeman is absolutely brilliant in that movie. One of his best performances of his career. You know, Any film where Morgan Freeman is the narrator? Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Andy Dufresne. It's, it's iconic. That's fair. Like a Twinkie. <laughs> like a Twinkie. So that's laced up for this week. Um, follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Love us on the drive home from work. Did I use that one already? I think I might have used a similar one. Um, We'll be back next week as per usual, probably on schedule. Uh, What I will announce, because it's not really worth a tweet or an announcement on social media, so the few of you that did stick around to the final end of this episode, I will say, uh, we will likely be out on the Thursday of the following week, so uh, next week we'll be out on Friday, February 8th, then we'll probably be out on valentine's day or maybe even a bit before it get your lovers nice and close yeah there's nothing fuck the most single thing you could do (laughs) on valentine's day would be to listen to your friend's hockey podcast so you should definitely do that uh a reminder we do have our bonus episode on february 18th um the oscar predictions for this year we will have our guest on and, uh, yeah, we'll get through most of that stuff so you can avoid your family. You can avoid your girlfriend listening to a podcast on the 14th, and then you can avoid your family on the 18th. When, when is when is the actual Oscar day? I, I, the Oscars are 24th? on the following Sunday, 24th? so the 24th, okay. yes. Cool. Yeah. Nice. You got anything you need to plug? No. Nothing new? I don't. I, uh, by the time you hear this, I should have an article up on Puck77 about what the Winnipeg Jets should do at the trade deadline. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought. Spoiler alert! It's got something to do with centerman. Uh, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of debating about centerman. What I thought was going to happen was I was going to write an article about Derek Broussard, and what ended up happening is I wrote an article about like eleven different people and sort of like, well, if they do this, shit, they should do that. And it's like hmm. it's like twenty five hundred words at this point. I got to cut like half of it out now. So whatever rabbit hole. Yeah, there we go. Um, okay, I think we're good. I probably forgot something. Whatever, we're good. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, see you later. Cool.